Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 191, when to declare minimum fuel and when to declare an emergency, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Roseleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is awesome. We have uh, co-hosts here. I know we've done a lot of interviews in the past, and uh, joining me this evening, and it's chilly throughout the country, no matter where you are, if you're in Florida or up north, is uh, Larry Overstreet. Larry, welcome. Hello from Texas. Hey, and it's cold there, too. I know that, and you're down the Corpus yeah. Christi area. Uh, just but we a, don't have snow. No, no, but it is a mecca of aviation, and I'm sure you're having a lot of fun checking out the airplanes. Absolutely. <laughs> also joining us is uh, Tom Frick on the other side of the state. Uh, welcome, Tom. Hey, Carl. The the first number in the temperature here is a five, and I'm I'm freaking out. It's, it's I got jeans on. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I know the people up north are just kind of kind of laughing at us right now. Especially Victoria. Victoria, welcome. You're sitting there just shaking your head. I know. <laughs> I wouldn't call this the north. I'm from Michigan. Oh wow! Yes, that is cold up in Michigan. A beautiful place to fly, though, up in Michigan. That's for sure. Uh, I miss it. Yeah. Oh man, I I love flying over the lakes. I love flying over the whole state. It's just gorgeous. And we talked a little bit about that in a, a previous episode. Well, guys, uh, welcome back, and uh, I'm glad we got this uh, roundtable discussion. We have a lot to talk about tonight, so let's quick get on with the news and announcements here. Let's do the pre-flight. First announcement is, uh, first of all, the uh, Aviation Careers podcast, which I host, uh, was in the top 20 career podcasts you must subscribe to and listen to, and uh, we got number nine on that list. You can check out that list because there's some really cool career podcasts in there in some niche uh, different markets, and that's kind of how we got selected on that list. It's not necessarily the the really huge ones, but it's one uh, offering us a niche like we do in aviation, etc. So uh, check out that, and also um, coming up in the next episode, and uh, we'd love to get by the way your feedback on this. Is we've been doing some interviews. I think we're going to mix it up between interviews and these roundtable discussions. Uh, is an interview that uh, Larry actually did at Stinson Field. Larry, just uh, maybe you could give us a quick intro as to what that interview is about. Sure, you bet. Um, it was with a gentleman by the name of uh, Kenny Painter, who is the uh, head docent at the Texas Air Museum in San Antonio. Um, Texas Air Museum is located on the airport at um, Stinson Field, KSSF, if you're looking. And it's the second oldest continuously operating general aviation airport in the United States. Um, the name Stinson might sound familiar, but it's not that Stinson that you're thinking of. Um, that's Eddie Stinson. But his two sisters, including Catherine and his mom, um, were early uh, women aviators 
Um, it, the rumor is that, uh, or, or legend is, whatever, that uh, his sister Catherine uh, uh, knew the Wright brothers and um, was taught by, um, you know, some of the really early, early greats in aviation, um, the um, uh, Lincoln Beachy, people like that. And they went around the country uh, doing, uh, uh, at the time, what was, you know, just unbelievable feats of aerobatics and so forth to drum up business for their flight school at, uh, uh, you know, what is now Stinson Field in uh, San Antonio, Texas. So he walked me through the museum. We talked about a lot of different uh, exhibits and some of the stories behind it of those, especially, though, of those three Stinson women um, who were, you know, the same family as uh, Eddie Stinson, who went on to found the aircraft company. But uh, should be should be a fun time to good interview to listen to. Fun time to uh, hear some stories from the very beginnings of uh, early women aviators, uh, you know, here in the United States. Well, I can't wait to hear that interview, uh, Larry. And I uh, I actually listened to a little bit of it, and I think it's just terrific. So uh, next episode, you'll hear that interview that Larry did at Stinson Field. Uh, some very interesting uh, original barnstormers, really, and uh, yeah. just a drum up business. So I think that's really cool. Now entering cruise flight. Well, let's get on with the regular episode here in, the, in Cruise Flight. We uh, have some listener mail first, and we have a discussion about, uh, and the listener mail leads into this discussion about emergencies. And uh, so let's go on and read that email real quick, and then we'll move on to some discussion. Listener mail comes in, and by the way, if you have a question or you have a comment, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. That's the simplest way to get in touch with us. Uh, if you do want to make a comment or you want us to read something and discuss something, we won't use your name. We black it out, uh, and uh, if you want us to, we can, but uh, we do that you know, to protect your privacy, but we'd love to hear some of your comments. Anyway, uh, says uh, listener mail says, Hi, Carl. I just stumbled upon your site. Very nice. A lot of good information. Thanks for posting it. I do want to call your attention to an issue in your article titled, Should I Declare Minimum Fuel if I Have an Alternate? And uh, I have a link, by the way, to that article uh, that I did. It says, In the article, you state the wonderful aspect when declaring minimum fuel is that it's an advisory to ACC that requires no paperwork. This seems to imply that if you declare an emergency, you have to submit paperwork. In fact, since at least the 70s, it is rare that you'll have to contact at all in any contact with the FAA post-flight after declaring an emergency. And it's exceedingly rare that any paperwork will be involved. I feel it is very important to ensure that pilots know this so that they do not hesitate to declare an emergency if they need assistance. Avianca Flight 52 is an example of what can happen if pilots are hesitant to declare an emergency. So it's great to get the word out about minimum fuel declaration, but not so great to portray it, it as a way to avoid declaring an emergency if an emergency is, exists. My two cents worth and about that much. So uh, thanks for that email. Uh, we in no way were trying to discuss you know, what not to declare an emergency. Uh, the, the, that's just one of the benefits of minimum fuel is that it is minimum fuel. It's, and we'll talk a little bit about what that minimum fuel is. But it really is, and we are no way saying you shouldn't declare an emergency, and we're going to go way into that right now. Uh, when I talked about the paperwork, I think many of us that 
uh, fly and fly uh, in either a flight school or in a part 141 or any other like for airlines etc and charter there is a lot of paperwork that's done anytime you have an emergency you have to file some paperwork uh, you usually have to file paperwork and there's some follow-up there so uh, that's kind of like what I alluded to there but there it's important though to understand that article in that um, when to declare minimum fuel and when to declare that you have an emergency. Uh, and there's a, a fine line there. And what I was trying to do is that is discuss why th there's a lot of people that feel that they need to declare an emergency when it's actually just it's minimum fuel and then it escalates from there. But really get out the word minimum fuel as soon as you can because then it starts giving you eh, maybe a heads up to air traffic control that allows them to know, hey, you need to give me a, maybe a little bit of priority in your brain and, and maybe put us into the, to the line. And it really is something that's used often. I've declared minimum fuel, fuel many, many times. If I'm holding and I say, hey, you know, we're, uh, we're going to be minimum fuel here in about five minutes and uh, we, need to, <laughs> we need to get to our destination. But the, the gist of the article is if you have an alternate, if you have an alternate, at that point, you're not really minimum fuel. What you're telling the person is, hey, listen, I need to go to my alternate now. I don't have enough time to hold here for much longer. I have an alternate on my flight plan, so now I need to go to my alternate. On my way to the alternate, on my way to the alternate, and that's what I was trying to point out there in the art article, if I do get to a point where I have minimum fuel, then yeah, I need to declare that. So let's define minimum fuel first of all. And this is just from the definition uh, in their uh, glossary within the AIM. It says, minimum fuel indicates that an aircraft's fuel supply has reached a state where upon reaching the destination, it can accept little or no delay. This is not an emergency situation, but merely indicates an emergency situation is possible should any undue delay occur. And that's what we were trying to get out there, is that minimum fuel is for like your destination. If you're going to your destination and you have an alternate on your flight plan, then you start saying, hey, listen, guys, I got one more turn to hold and I'm going to my alternate. If you don't have an alternate, then you start saying, hey, listen, guys, we don't have enough fuel. As a matter of fact, we right now, we're going to be minimum fuel in about 10 minutes. 10 minutes goes by and then you declare min fuel. And say, hey, listen, we, we really need to, to get to our destination. There's another point as you start burning up more and more gas. Then that's the point we say, hey, guys, no more, no more delays. This is going to be an emergency here. We need to land right now. And, uh, and that's kind of a, a distinction there we're trying to make. So I hope that by looking at the article again, you'll see that that kind of wasn't the gist there. But I really, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about emergencies here. Uh, but I'd love to hear from some of the, you know, like the other guys that fly IFR here, uh, Tom and all. Have you, Tom, by the way, have you ever declared minimum fuel? I was just curious. Um, no, I have not had to declare minimum f fuel yet. Yet, and that's, uh, it, yet is, is yeah, important. Those who have and those who will. <laughs> yeah, I have not yet. Right. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, in that article that uh, maybe you've had a chance to read that, that we didn't give it that impression that, yeah, you don't want to uh, declare an emergency. That is one of the bonuses of um, having that min fuel. Again, there is no paperwork in certain environments, especially in the 121, the 141s, those kind of things. But it also, and, and that's just a benefit. It doesn't mean that if you need to declare an emergency, you don't. Uh, so that's quite, quite important. Um, and you're right. I mean, the, the, uh, you know, the person who wrote in is right that uh, the folks on Avianca, 
I mean, I don't think they even declared minimum fuel. They kind of hemmed and hawed, and they got it all the way down to, obviously, an emergency fuel situation, but they didn't even declare that emergency until they started uh, flaming out. So that was kind of a, an interesting situation there that we learned a lot about uh, within emergencies and things like that. So when do you declare that minimum fuel? Again, it's if there's any undue delay, and that would cause you, it's not an emergency, you know, but might cause a possible situation where you could have an, an emergency. It's not there yet. Uh, so emergency fuel, uh, some people use that term. It's really, uh, it's, if you have a fuel emergency, that means that you are going to run out of fuel and you need to get down, you need to land. You just tell them, Hey, listen, I need to land. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you actually have declared even the emergency. You say, Hey, listen, I need to land now. I don't have enough gas. Uh, but some of us forget to use that word emergency. Uh, and if uh, there's any confusion, because sometimes you hear that in a lot of the tapes, so, you know, are you declaring an emergency? Yes. You know, just say yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're declaring an emergency. We need, we need to land right now. So uh, with that said, let's kind of shift away from that. As far as the minimum fuel, I'd like you to read that article because it's a pretty long article as to what minimum fuel is. And the point of the article is, is what to do with minimum fuel and having an alternate. But really what I want to dive into in, in this discussion here is declaring emergencies and, and those type of things. So really, I think uh, uh, something that would help uh, in discussing emergencies and in the declaration of an emergency is maybe relate some of the stories that we've had in situations where it was an emergency. And also while we're relating you know, try to kind of tell us, you know, what outside resources uh, you may have used. So I know Tom had a, a really good one that are very, uh, it's very nerve wracking too. emergency not too long ago. So Tom, maybe you could relate what it was. And then also, you know, how, what the externalities were for that situation and, and what different resources you used. Um you're talking about the emergency itself and yeah yeah and kind of what the aftermath of it was Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so um yeah i was with a um with a student and um the student was a very highly rated uh and capable pilot and um he um wanted to do some uh tailwheel work so um i have access to a um a cessna 140 kind of a smaller aircraft i'm a large individual it was hard for me to get in and out of but enough room to where I could operate the aircraft. Anyway, we went in, um, we were just staying in the local traffic pattern. We, um, at, were at a towered airport, um, took off and in the pattern, he said, okay, it's been a while since I've, I've, um, landed this. Um, I have had a, uh, ground loop experience at one point. So he says, I'm just going to go in and I just want to do a touch and go. I want to do just the, the two wheel landing and, and take right back off again, which is, odd in a, in a tailwheel because you normally do full stops because that's the way you got to count them to count the landings. Either way, that was our plan. We came in, we um, touched the uh, front main wheels on the ground, we powered back up, we took off, and as we were climbing out, he looked over at me and he says, I have no elevator control. And sure enough, the elevators were locked up solid, and um, I ended up grabbing them. I, I, I pushed forward on them enough to hear a big loud clunk, and at that moment, we called the tower and, and declared an emergency immediately. Um, we landed the plane safely. Um, it, uh, we taxied off. Of course, by the time we were on the ground, they had already rolled all the fire trucks out and everybody else. And we landed, they taxied back in. Um, 
we shut the airplane down. We got out. Um, guys got out of the fire trucks and walked over and said, you guys okay? And I went, yep, we're fine. Everything's good. And they went, okay, have a nice day. And that was it. That was the end of the emergency. There was no paperwork. There was no inquisition. There was no, here, call this phone number. They just wanted to make sure we were okay. And once we were safely on the ground, that was the end of it. Um, the um, airplane itself had a had a issue with the spar for the vertical stabilizer. Um, it had actually cracked through and, and thank God didn't come off. It could have, but it didn't. And, um, yeah, that was, that was at, uh, for subsequent, um, research on my part, find it, found out that there was a, um, service bulletin on those particular airplanes that started at a serial number that was just beyond that airplane that had them redoing the spar on the back to put in a little beefier, um, vertical spar for that thing. Um, that's what they ended up replacing it with to strengthen it back up. And the plane was up and flying again in no time, but, uh, it could have been disastrous, but it wasn't. It ended up, uh, every, everything was fine. I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, there was no, uh, I'm, I'm glad everything turned out. Okay. Obviously, um, one of the things you mentioned is the paperwork. There wasn't much involved or nothing at all, really. Um, other than the fact that they had to fix the aircraft, there was some paperwork involved with that, but that was the mechanics doing that. <laughs> One of the things I'd like to go back to, though, is you had said um, when this happened, you declared the emergency. Um, just if you could give us a little granularity there, what what did you actually do? I mean, did you get on the radio and say, hey, we're in an emergency, we're landing? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, we, 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 we said that we had a um, an issue with one of our control surfaces and that we were declaring an emergency. And they asked, do you, do you need emergency vehicles? And went, yes, bring bring out whoever you need to. Um, you know, and we ended up landing on a cross runway um, that was uh, closed at the time, but it was the it was the best piece of concrete for us. Um, at, at that point, we you know we took over as our uh, our rights for PIC to do whatever we needed to do to get the plane back on the ground, and and that's what we did. So that's important. You said an emergency. You use some outside resources if you needed them. Uh, you know, God forbid you you know the control surfaces were you know, unable to become unlocked and, and you needed those uh, services when you got on the ground, et cetera. Um, but that's good. I mean, I'm glad to hear that, that you had the wherewithal to do that. And also, uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because that's the first thing that anybody will do, an air traffic controller should do, if you have any situation, they're going to ask you, you know, hey, do you need help? And that's the really important part is those people are there to help you out. So, uh, and a lot of times they'll, they'll ask you, hey, are you declaring an emergency? And that's that's really important. Um, any other takeaways from that as far as uh, the emergency is concerned that maybe our listeners uh, would uh, possibly learn from this? Or uh, or maybe just in a comment, you know, hey, you know, don't be afraid to declare an emergency. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, I mean, just, I mean, when you're up off the ground, anything's possible. And, and just to be able to know that you can have those services and, and just, you can, they'll literally, they'll clear the skies for you. If you need, you need to get the thing on the ground, everybody on the ground is there help trying to help you get back down there, you know, and there's, there's not a lot, there, there's nothing really to be fearful of, you know, it's, it's using the system for what it was meant to do. My question for you is, you know, we we're talking about, don't be afraid to declare emergency, but you have work to do. You have to fly the plane. It's, before you communicate. So when that all happened, um, when did you actually have the chance to say what was going on or was it pretty fluid? Um, it was pretty fluid. I mean, both of us were, you know, 
like I said, the the pilot I was flying with was was um you know has all of his ratings and had thousands of hours flying already. Um, the the cockpit environment was very calm. I mean, we when I got the um, elevators moving again, we just kind of looked at each other like, okay, looks like we got control, and and then it was it was just an immediate response. You know, it's like get on the horn and and let's talk to ATC and let them know that uh, we've got an issue and we're coming in. Interesting. Victoria, you um, now that you spoke, what uh, have you had a an emergency situation and uh, maybe give us some insight into to what happened? Yeah, um, I forget where I was flying to, but um, the engine started running. Well, I thought it was running rough. It just sounded really bad. Like, and you know, when you hear something sound really not normal, all you want to do is get on the ground. So, you know, we just called up. Um, ATC and said, my engine's running really rough. We need to land as soon as possible. And ATC was very helpful and directed us where we needed to go. And, you know, we did type in the transponder that we, you know, had declared emergency. But when we realized the engine was not going to quit on us and had an idea of what the problem was, um, you know, we, we told them, hey, we'll let you know when we're on the ground safe. But I think it's not a big deal as we originally thought it was. And they didn't yell at us or say, oh my gosh, you said you had an emergency and now you don't. It was um, pretty helpful, pretty calm and landed on the ground. They made sure we were okay there. And turns out an exhaust pipe fell off inside the cowling and it was the vibrations and the extra loud exhaust noise that um, had created that very scary sounding engine. So you actually... I'm glad that turned out well, but did you actually declare, you said you had an emergency and then you put 77? Yeah, we declared an emergency and then we kind of said, hey guys, you know, I don't think it is an emergency. You can turn off the alarms. Um, and, you know, we just kind of kept them updated as it was going. Interesting. Yeah, this, the situation will constantly change, you know, especially as you're figuring it out. So, you know, your first instinct is, wow, this is not right. I need to land. We declared an emergency. Got a little bit calmer later, thinking it through and saying, you know what, this isn't really super bad and just kind of gave them an update. Gotcha. And and Victoria, that's a, a great point that you make there is that you also can undeclare an emergency. If you have one, you make it known. If the problem is resolved, you can undeclare it. Now, ATC has the right to keep it open and keep it as an emergency situation, but you as a pilot can undeclare an emergency as well as declare one. That's a great point, Tom. It's, uh, you know, the emergency's over. We've, we've got it figured out and we're fine now. Uh, and then you can move on with, with the flighting and go forward. Um, that's a great, great point. You know, speaking of declaring an emergency, we've kind of been talking about these things and maybe we could put some, uh, definitions to that. You know, uh, the FAA loves to have all these different definitions. And uh, if you look at the the glossary within the AIM, uh, you actually see that an emergency is a distress or urgency condition. And they actually do go on to define what a distress or an urgency condition is. Um, and an urgency is a condition being concerned about the safety and of requiring timely but not immediate assistance a potential distress condition. And when they go on, they go on to define distress. What's distress? A condition being threatened by serious and or imminent danger 
of requiring immediate assistance. So that that's where kind of things go up and down in the levels of emergencies. Um, there's different, as a matter of fact, at the airlines, we have different codes that we use as far as the level of emergency to communicate with the rest of the crew and also with our dispatchers, et cetera. You know, is it a red? Is it a yellow? You know, are we going to, you know, jump out of the airplane? In other words, are we going to evacuate? That type of thing. Uh, so that's kind of their, their way of defining all that. But when you're in that situation, you know, emergency is an emergency. Um, I know uh, another thing that you had mentioned, Victoria, is the transponder. That is, that's a very helpful device. Um, when I had uh, one emergency where I took off out of Peter O'Night and about, you know, 800 to 900 feet, the, just the whole airplane started shaking and I was like, oh, this is not good. Uh, so probably had a valve that was stuck or something like that, but we weren't really producing power. We weren't going up, we're going down and I immediately got on the radio and just started calling Mayday cause it was on control field and, uh, you know, we're landing and what was good is that most people got quiet. There was, I remember hearing some jumpers and things like that. They all started being quiet. And the other thing we did because I, we were over the water is immediately I put 7,700 in because I wanted to communicate with the people at the airport because I was afraid that there's a lot of traffic there that people weren't going to get in, out of my way. Interestingly enough, not dealing with, with air traffic control, but declaring an emergency to the other people around you is important. And this really it was kind of a surreal experience because I had people get on the radio and ask me because they knew my voice. I said, hey, Carl, you know, another instructor are you serious or is this, is this practice? And I said, no, no, get out of my way. Just everybody get out of my way. I'm going to land. I think I'm going to land on a runway. I'm going to land on any piece of pavement or, or grass or something on the runway there or on the airport, excuse me. And uh, so we finally, uh, when I said that, it really got pretty silent on the frequency. It was a busy weekend. And uh, I noticed, and it's kind of weird the things you notice, out of the window, a helicopter that was like, hovering there had been on its way out but just stopped and i assume they were watching us the cool thing about declaring the emergency that was helpful is everybody stopped and got out of our way so when you don't have the situation where you don't have air traffic control it's good to actually communicate there with the people around you but i also had the help of air traffic control in another uh, way in that i when i put 7700 in and i finally got on the ground i didn't know this till later and we were able to, to clear it up and taxi to the back to the terminal. When I got inside, there was a phone call, and uh, the person at the desk answered, and, and it was air traffic control saying, "Hey, listen, you know, we know there was an emergency aircraft landing at your airport. Are they okay?" And they said, "Yes, they're fine." And that was it. I mean, that you know, nothing, nothing else happened. There was no other paperwork, as we said, but uh, everything was just fine. So in those situations, yeah, it's it's really a good idea to to get out there and, and get people to know where you're going. The other reason I put 7,700 in, and I just, I, I'm, I'm kind of like this. I'm a little paranoid about, you know, going down and nobody knowing where I am, is that at least I knew, you know, I'm underneath class Bravo that someone will probably find me. Uh, obviously, on a really busy weekend, someone's going to find us, and a lot of people were watching us do this. Uh, another, by the way, another side note, I didn't realize my adrenaline was pumping so much that when I got on the ground, and I, I felt really, really bad about this, 
I got on the ground, I put the brakes on and I put them on, I didn't realize this, I was put them on real hard that I, I skidded the tires and I flattened the tires out a little bit and uh, they kind of let it go. I was like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. There was like brand new tires. <laughs> so here I am feeling guilty about that and the guy's like, listen, we don't care. We, you know, at least we didn't lose the airplane. So my boss was okay with that. Uh, but again, going back to that, that experience, you know, learning from that, you can declare an emergency and get on a frequency. I didn't get on 121.5 because there were so many people listening. And now I, I knew someone was going to come and get me and someone would notice. But more importantly, I wanted people to get out of my way too. So, uh, so there's kind of a, that's the other reason to declare an emergency is get the assistance of other people, air traffic control, but also make sure that, that people are, are, are moving away from you, even if you're not talking to air traffic control. So Larry, um, how about you? Did you have a, a, a story that you could relate as far as a, an emergency situation and, and what happened? Yeah, you bet. Um, I was flying from, um, I believe it was uh, Michigan, back to Arkansas. And this is in the pre-GPS, uh, also known as Loran days, although I didn't have a Loran, so that didn't help much. <laughs> um, anyway, uh flying along in a, a Cessna Cardinal RG, retractable gear model, and um, noticed I had lost the alternator. And the other things I knew was my destination was VFR, and so one option I had was to continue on and, you know, get out to VFR and land somewhere. Um, but I had passengers, and to me that constituted enough of a enough of an unknown that I was not okay with that. And so I, you know, was already talking to uh, ATC because it was an IFR flight, um, told them I had lost alternator and asked for vectors. You know, I looked on my paper chart back then, pre-four flight, right? And, um, uh, uh, you know, just ask for vectors to a local airport that was down there in an approach that they had. Um, started, you know, kind of descending. Uh, they were super helpful. Started descending, um, reached up and dropped the gear which in the Cardinal is, a, uh, I believe, an electrical hydraulic system. And so the gear went about halfway down and went, er, um, when my battery finally died. Ooh. So, you know, you know, kind of coming down on an approach, pumping down the hydraulic uh, uh, lever from, you know, under the pilot seat there, um, and landed, uh, you know, popped out, landed. Everything was just fine. Um, I called... Uh, uh, flight service, uh, you know, at the time to let them know that we had landed and that we were okay. And that was the end of it. I, I never heard back, you know, there was no, um, definitely no paperwork. There was no questioning. There was no anything, you know, they just wanted to know I was okay on the ground. Kind of like some of the other stories you guys uh, have related. And that's really important is that someone's out there looking for you. And I, I guess some times when you land out somewhere uh, other than a controlled field is uh, you worry about, hey, is anybody going to find you? Um, I know that uh, some of us, uh, Tom, I think you had an off-airport. Yeah, you definitely had an off-airport landing. Um, I'm assuming, though, in your situation, you weren't really worried about people finding you, right? No, I wasn't worried about them finding me. And actually, um, I had contact with um, with a with a tower. I was already in contact with the tower and let them know what was going on. And even when I got on the ground, I could still I still was in radio communication. And I I told them the cross street that I was at and that I was shutting the plane down and and signing off at that point. And it wasn't long before uh, local authorities started showing up. 
So that kind of brings us to uh, some other things in this discussion is, you know, some advice in declaring an emergency. We've gone over a little bit of that, but also I think there's some really good information in the AIM. Uh, If you get a chance, and uh, it's really, really good stuff, is go to Chapter 6 in the AIM. It talks about emergency procedures. Uh, One of the things that I really like is, is where they discuss those things that are available to us in an emergency. And... You know, and this is kind of interesting in that one of the things we don't think about sometimes is if we're lost, is that there's there at times can be like a an intercept and an escort. Uh, This is a kind of an interesting situation. Uh, Usually, if there's like a search and rescue out, and you're say you're in flight and you need some help, and you need someone says, "Hey, follow that aircraft towards the city or wherever." Uh, it m- might be best to kind of leave it to some people that are more trained in that type of flying. Uh, but I do know that I've been in situations where I'm like, gosh, I hear some guy on the radio. I know where they are. They're lost. And if you just tell them, look over here, uh, obviously at the, w- at the one time I was in an airliner, I can't go over and help them out. Obviously, I have all these other passengers on board. But you just you just feel so helpless sometimes. But what's cool is when I was listening to that is the fact that the air traffic control did such a great job in helping that person in that distress situation and that they knew some of the different things that were out there and uh, some of the, you know, the the terrain. uh, When he described where he was, he said, oh, okay, I know where you are. Turn to the right. Do you see this? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I see that. Okay, now if you just look off to your northwest, there's an airport. And finally he found his way home so that was really really successful but there's other things too that we sometimes forget about and i know it's you know gosh yeah we have to have an elt and that type of thing but if you do an off airport landing uh, i know having gone through some of our survival training is that one of the most important things is being able to be found by somebody um, more so than anything else other than you know like food and fuel and all those type of things and and blankets is that you know you do want to be found and uh, it's important to make sure that your ELT works but I'm interested in you know do people actually file flight plans and that I think is important too because if people know where to start searching you, there's much higher likelihood of of getting found even if you don't open it if you're just going to fly from A to B, just put out there, you know, VFR flight plan, and if something does happen, they can find you. Um, I know in uh, our flight school at the college, you know, they, they always have to know, the dispatcher has to know where they're going. Uh, they have to file flight plans and everything, and if they're overdue, they're going to start coming out and looking for you. I know, Tom, I, you do a lot of flight instructing, and I was curious, what do you, do you try to stress that with your students? What do you tell them about uh, the different services available as far as search and rescue and and how they can actually be found and have a higher likelihood of being found well it's it's exactly like you just described having um, having my students know that there um, are services that can do that and that somebody should know at all times where they're going um, we talk about VFR flight plans you know which basically end up being just for that reason for for search and rescue in case you don't show up where you're supposed to be or don't come back when you're expected um, they they have a means of where to start looking for you because think about it you go up in an airplane you can go in any direction and go for a long ways and you know they could be searching for years and not find you if 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 you didn't tell anybody where you were going that said you know um in in the flight school environment that we're in 
people know. I mean, you come in, if, even if you just go rent an aircraft, you know, you're picking it up and somebody will ask, like you said, um, our dispatchers required to ask. They say, so uh, where are you going? Oh, I'm going up to Crystal River today. Okay, good. Have a nice flight. You know, and if that plane doesn't show back when it's expected, then you're right. Then, then a, um, you know, an inquiry starts and, and a search if necessary. Um, it's usually just as much as a phone call, like, um, hey, are you, you know, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Are you coming back? Oh, yeah, I wasn't keeping track of time. I'm, I'm on my way now. And and somebody just being late. Um, with that said, you know, I, I put it in the context of like this. If, if, uh, if a student of mine goes out and buys an airplane and now they're in a hangar and they get up that morning, um, they live alone and they decided, eh, I think I'll get down to South Florida today and have some breakfast. And they go out to their hangar and get in the plane and take off and don't tell anybody where they're going. They can't expect that anybody's ever going to find them. It's it's that if nobody has no idea where you're going, you're lost. Period. You know, it works that way with airplanes. Works that way with boats. You know, you always file a float plan. Let somebody know where you're going, just in case something happens. Somebody's going to start a search at some point. And they're going to start a search if you don't close your flight plan, and uh, and it works. Um, it, 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 it does. And, and I relate the story of people who like, you know, you go someplace, you land, you know, you get in your hotel, you go down to the bar, you open up, you know, you crack open your first beer and you're sitting there and somebody taps on the shoulder and say, are you Mr. So-and-so? And you go, uh-oh, you know, you forgot to close your flight plan, which is why all the FBOs have, you know, I don't know, Victoria, you can tell me about the ladies room, but the men's room, most of them, they have signs hanging on the walls in the bathroom. Have you closed your flight plan? Question mark. Not all ladies' rooms, unfortunately, but we're getting there. <laughs> you know, what, that's a great point, though, is closing your flight plan. But the cool thing is when you don't, you don't uh, close it, you find out real fast that the search and rescue does start. Um, and remember, search and rescue usually starts with a phone call to the airport and uh, people locally starting to look for you uh, because that's where they're going to start. They're going to start saying, hey, this person probably landed, just didn't uh, close their flight plan, that type of thing. Um, the other thing, too, to remember is every – and people think it's just the VFR pilots that are prone to this. IFR pilots, too, and I hate to admit it, but I did it. I landed, and I forgot to close my flight plan, and I was, like, so embarrassed. On the way to the hotel, get a phone call and uh, say, is this so-and-so from so-and-so? Yes. Um, were you in such-and-such such an airplane? Yes. And, like, oh, God, what did I do? Yeah, you didn't. You didn't actually close your flight plan. You didn't cancel your IFR, actually. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, so incredibly embarrassing moment, something you'll never, ever do again or you know, declare you'll never do again. And uh, I know every time I'm on the ground and the tower's closed and I make sure I write on a piece of paper now, close my flight plan because then you know it opens up airspace, et cetera. But the one thing that's the, the great point there is that they will come and, and try to find you. And sometimes it's a good idea to invest in some of these other devices, the, you know, personal locator beacons, those type of things. And, um, you know, survival is really, it's really, really important uh, that people know where you are. So and just get out there and, and get those devices that, that can make you found, as I, as I like to say. Uh, it is scary. I've been lost in a boat before, and, and was it's kind of scary that uh, you're like, gosh, where am I? What am I doing? And, and how do I get back? But uh, first thing you got to admit is you're lost, and then go from there. There's a lot of other assistance that you can get from being lost in the airplane. We can go over a lot of that, but the biggest thing that we're trying to get a, across here is, yeah, don't be afraid to declare that, that emergency. 
at any time, if you're if you have any issues, just get on the radio. Also, another thing that I think, um, and I would love to hear from you folks what you do with one twenty one five is. Hopefully you're listening to that on another radio uh, so that if there is a problem or an ELT going off, you can report that. Uh, recently in the past, uh, I guess, five, six years, uh, at the airlines we have to listen to 121.5. And uh, that's a lot of times it's for communication reasons, uh, saying, hey, you know, so-and-so come up on such a frequency, that type of thing. But it is good because every so often you have somebody that has an emergency or is using their emergency authority. But I try to listen to it as as, as much as I can. If I'm not using that other radio, it's on 121.5. Just curious, do, do you guys, like Victoria, do you put that in your in a second frequency if you have one in, in your airplane? Yeah, when I have it, I do like to listen to it. And I especially like to groan at all the people that yell, guard, oh, guard, over and over when you accidentally transmit on it. Uh, and that yeah that's actually another thing it's like hey you're transmitting on guard just leave it at that um i and i'll be honest with you i turn off 121.5 a lot of times it gets so noisy on that frequency Uh, you're just like oh please god you know just just be quiet and uh you know that is kind of strange to say that but uh, there are too many people that use that frequency too often uh so every so often you just got to turn it off because you can't hear air traffic control um, uh, Tom, do you guys at your school, do you train that, uh, to listen to the other frequencies? Yes. Okay. So, and, and, you know, when, when I go through and teach emergency procedures, you know, instead of just going through the motions uh, of doing, I, I have my students actually tune in to the, to the frequencies. So, and I've had them forget to turn it off and yes, that's what they do. They start transmitting it on it and that's what you get. Guard. <laughs> and oh you know another They're making way it worse <laughs> it, they are making it worse they really are one of the things i do so i don't make that emer- that that transmission is i actually look at if i switch frequencies i look down to see and look at the button as to where i'm going to be transmitting on and what frequency uh before i i hit either the push to talk or my handheld uh, microphone and uh, say okay you know now i'm on the right thing i'm not transmitting on guard and it really I haven't transmitted on guard in a long, long time now that I've gotten in that habit of looking first and then start transmitting because because uh, I, I hate to do that because I, I know there's so many important things that are happening on that frequency. And uh, and I hear it like every couple of weeks I'll hear somebody that's like, you know, so-and-so airplane, you've, you've entered, you know, a restricted area, you know, please turn to such and such a heading. And that's important information that you need to get out to other pilots that are out there. That's That's for sure. Another thing, too, that uh, as far as, uh, you know, when to declare an emergency, when to declare an emergency in your mind, and, uh, and that's really important, is to say, okay, I'm in an emergency situation, and I'm going to use my pilot-in-command authority to deal with this situation, this emergency situation. So let's get an, give an example of that. Uh, and this is an important example, because I've seen this happen during the summer, not so much now, it's getting cooler, is... Air traffic controller will ask you to turn to a certain heading or go in a certain direction, and there's a thunderstorm in front of you. And you may get really, really close to that, or possibly you maybe are about to go through that. The most important thing to do is don't go through that thunderstorm and just tell them, I'm unable, there's a storm in front of me. And then they may even ask you, and this uh, I've heard these arguments quite often. Um, I won't mention any air traffic control facilities, but... Uh, it really has been an issue in certain parts of uh, in the U.S. where the controllers may even just vector you into a thunderstorm. You just tell them no. Uh, 
uh, and they ask you, are you declaring an emergency? It's like, if you want me to, yeah, I'm going to have to declare an emergency because I can't go through that thunderstorm. Uh, so make sure you do that. If you have, you know, declare, your, you know, use your, your pilot and command authority and and de- just deal with that emergency because it is if you're going to go into a level five thunderstorm and just turn. Don't go through that. One of the things that's interesting is, uh, you know, we talk about that a lot of times with 172s, smaller airplanes having that situation. But we get that at the airlines I and mean, we're flying over the ocean and all of a sudden, there's a storm that pops up when nowhere, no radar, or whatever, and you just turn and you start transmitting on 121.5. You start telling people, "Hey, listen, we're turning to this he- heading. We're at this altitude, and uh, we're trying to go around that storm." Uh, you're doing that because you're not in radar contact, that type of thing. So um, the the that's a really important point is just don't worry about it. You know, use your authority and deal with the emergency. And, uh, and I hope that most other people do that. You know, you're in the airplane, they're on the ground in a nice air conditioned room or warm room as it is this time of year. And just go ahead and and do that. Just deal with it. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you folks have had that type of situation here with the, the people in the room is that are, have you ever had to tell the control? Hey, no, I can't do that. Unable Tom, have you ever had that? Um, no, not nope. that I can think of. Or Victoria or Larry. I mean, it's, uh, have you ever said to a controller, I'm unable? I have a point yes. that I should have, and yeah. I wish I did, but I didn't. Yeah. What, and was it something that was going to cause an emergency situation or just something else? No, um, there was a couple people converging on the airport and I was on base and the tower asked me to do, um, a 360 on base and, you know, in the end, you know, it would have been better just to do like request, say, hey, can I do an S turn or extend this or something? Because at such a low um, altitude, you know, so close to the airport, it probably would have been better not to. And I did have my boss on board who was like, that was ridiculous. I wouldn't have done it. So I had him in the back of my head, too. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should think twice before automatically agreeing to something. Um this close and this low to the airport. Yeah. So, and that's good that you did that. I mean, just, just, Hey, you know, just, you can't do it. You're unable. And that's something that you can just pull out of your, your, your bag of tricks. You know, Victoria, now that we're talking to somebody who knows something about insurance, I think also we worry sometimes in a situation that we have an emergency, we're going to do an off airport landing that, you know, we worry about the aircraft sometimes. And I, I, I've heard this, in situations, you know, when I'm doing some training in emergency situations, uh, worried about our aircraft surviving the crash, et cetera. I'm of the philosophy is, it's that when you have an emergency, don't worry about it. The, the insurance company now owns the aircraft. And uh, I'd love to hear your perspective from, you know, understanding the insurance industry. That's true. I mean, it, it depends how bad of an emergency you have. If, if you land an airplane in a field and nothing's busted, um, that really depends on your policy, what, what's helps you there. So you could land an airplane, um, because of an engine out in a field and have nothing broken. You have to check, does your policy, do they cover, um, getting the airplane out of the field for you? So that, that is something that, um, people have had to deal with upon emergency landings, finding out something like that may not be covered unless there is actual damage to the aircraft, then that's covered. But it definitely should not be at the top of your mind when you have to, you know, deal with an emergency. 
So I guess some of your advice would be make sure that you have that coverage or add that to your coverage. Uh, I would. It's only something that's come up a few times. And it's, you know, one of those what if scenarios. Flying is always a big giant what if. So every policy I work with is a little bit different. So you have to check in there how much might be available for recovery of the aircraft. Um, In most cases, upon an emergency landing and having to get an aircraft moved from a field or wherever it is, you know, the the insurance company will decide the best course of action to take it out, whether it's um, fl- ferried out, flown out, or taken out on a truck. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are some cases where if you landed and it's perfect, there might not be coverage for taking the aircraft out. So just consult your policy, and if you have any questions, ask your agent. And that'll make you feel a lot more comfortable when you do uh, land uh, off airport in a field is that you are covered. So that mm-hmm. might make you feel a little more comfortable uh, in, yeah. in that situation. So uh, it's funny the things that go through your mind in those situations, especially when you say just bought an airplane. I know I was in a brand new aircraft, had seven hours on it and had a problem with the engine running rough. And I was like, oh, no, brand new. And that's actually the first thing that went through my head that's horrible to admit is here I am in this brand new airplane. I'm going to land it off airport. I'm going to break things on this brand new plane, and the guy's going to hate me. And, you know, it's like, wait, who cares? <laughs> you know, Exactly. <laughs> Why am I thinking that? What's going through my brain? You know, it's like, no, I, who cares about that? I mean, they have insurance for that stuff. Uh, so, But th- these are the things that go through your mind sometimes. And, uh, you know, it's hard to admit it, but it, it does happen. Um, but, you know, when do you actually declare the emergency in your brain? That's an important part of this discussion, too. And that's kind of the reason I wanted to bring that in and talk, you know, with Victoria about that is, you know, don't be afraid to declare that emergency and do whatever you need to do to to get on the ground and make yourself safe, which I think is is quite important. Um, Boy, you know, guys, this has been an awesome discussion about emergencies and and, you know, when to declare an emergency, what type of facilities are available to you. And honestly, we could talk for hours because there's so many cool things out there. Uh, there's very there's all sorts of people out there that want to come help us when we say we do have an emergency, whether it's in flight, uh, it could be on the ground before we take off, or maybe it's we get lost or we have an off airport landing. There's all sorts of people and facilities, especially here in, uh, in we're in the U.S. that uh, will be out there. Many assets that'll be out there looking for us, and I think that's really really cool. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to have somebody on who does do some search and rescue. In the future, I mean, there's just it just is so neat that we ha- we're just one radio call away from having the cavalry cavalry come and get us, you know. And it's it's just it's awesome, uh, and I I really love that about. Uh, and that's in in any country really is that you when you declare an emergency, they're going to be out there getting facilities, getting assets uh, rolling right away. Uh, does anybody else have anything they want to cover, or maybe some some last minute advice on? on the whole emergencies and when to declare an emergency. Uh, I think we've covered most of it. So with that, I think uh, we actually can uh, wrap up when to declare an emergency. I love the, the uh, uh, email that we got, uh, and hopefully that, uh, that kind of clarified that as far as declaring minimum fuel. And, uh, and it's actually we're not telling people not to declare an emergency, as you can tell in our discussion. If you have an emergency, go for it do it right away, declare it, and get on the ground and be safe 
And that's the most important thing. Get help from others, which I think is really, really important. Our picks of the week. Well, now I'm moving on to our after landing checklist. And part of that is the picks of the week. And picks of the week, let's see. Um, I'm going to start us off here because I really, really like this pick of the week. And not because I was involved with it. But um, recently, as you know, I coach a flight team for... Uh, NIFA, the National Intercollegiate Flight Association, and we had our safety and flight evaluation conference for Region 9, which is, you know, it's uh, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. It was over in Jacksonville. Embry-Riddle was part of that, and they have some really talented young folks there that put together this amazing video with some incredible music, and they use drones. They used aircraft footage. They used uh, footage from the ground. There's some really neat. We were actually fogged in one day, and they did this incredible montage of all the different coaches, etc. cetera. Uh, I actually was incredibly inspired by it. They, uh, they made it a lot very exciting for me to watch, obviously, and, and it brought back some really cool memories. But what's cooler than watching airplanes take off and land and doing those short field landings, et cetera, and you're right there next to the plane when it's actually flaring. We're actually right out the runway, and they've got some great footage of that. Uh, it's just about a two-minute video. One of the things I love about it is the, the cool video and, and uh, all the video throughout the Jacksonville area. Uh, it, makes, it makes you want to get up and go fly a plane. So check that out. It's a YouTube video, uh, and I have the link in the uh, show notes here. So that's my pick of the week. Larry, uh, what is your pick of the week? I've actually got two for you, Carl. Cool. One I already mentioned, which is the Texas Air Museum in San Antonio, Texas. Um, you can see their website at texasairmuseum.org. Um, it was a really fun trip. And if you're in the area, it's, it's definitely worth a stop. The other one. Uh, that I'll mention is another air museum that I was at uh, recently, the Stafford Air Museum at Weatherford, Oklahoma. And that's Stafford Air, I'm sorry, StaffordMuseum.org. Um, it's named in honor of uh, Lieutenant General Thomas P. Stafford, who was a Weatherford native there in Oklahoma and um, was also a test pilot and astronaut, um, flew on some of the Gemini and the Apollo missions, um, just a, you know, storied, uh, aviator and uh, what would the right word be for an astronaut? Anyway, a um, uh, lot of great exhibits they have. Uh, I believe it's a Titan II um, rocket on its side. In you know, this is all indoors. Um, a bunch of different rocket engines going all the way back then to uh, early aviation and a Wright glider and a Wright Brothers flyer. Um, uh, Curtis Pusher, Sopwith, um, you know, the uh, uh, Bell X-1, you know, it, it was just all kinds of really great uh, and well-curated exhibits that was uh, really worth the time to stop. I, th I think we, you know, paid all of a few dollars for the admission, you know. So, again, if you're in the area, um, it's well worth a stop. And we'll have links to those in the show notes. Cool. You can drive there, fly there. Uh, definitely go check it out. It's, uh, it is amazing. I, I haven't been to that museum. It's one of the ones I really want to stop by. I just love watching rockets. And I'm, most of us in aviation and aerospace just absolutely love launches and, and love those things. So cool. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, and uh, let's see. Those are the two. And Victoria, you actually have a really interesting – I was making fun of this channel well anyway i'll go ahead and let you uh do, <laughs> <laughs> do your pick of the week victoria 
<laughs> it's that time of the year. It sure time is. for Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh God. <laughs> and if you want to impress your girlfriend or wife and be like, hey, honey, let's watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. Well, I have two recommendations. One is Christmas Under Wraps, and the other one is Return to Christmas Creek. Um, Christmas Under Wraps has like two scenes uh, with the Sasno, but it's flying in Alaska, which is amazing. And um, Return to Christmas Creek has a beautiful beaver on floats. And so you get some scenes for both those aircraft. And um, if anyone follows me on Instagram, they've seen the pictures I've put up of these two movies on my Instagram account of just hard, how darn far away the booms are on their headsets from their mouth. There is no way they could have these conversations. So have fun yelling at the screen, watching some predictable Christmas romance and drooling over airplanes. Victoria, I tell you what, I'm I'm gonna shock my wife and I'm gonna actually record these and I'm gonna say, Hey hun, let's watch the Hallmark channel. I'm gonna make points, I tell you, on this one. This is like, I, I love it. You make Maybe, me proud. Yeah. <laughs> she's gonna love it right up until the airplanes appear, and then she's gonna be like, Oh Tricked got me. it. Yeah. <laughs> She'll get it right away. <laughs> Come on, hun, let's go watch the Hallmark channel. She is actually gonna fall on the floor if I actually say that. Um, <laughs> Do it. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for that, that pick of the week. I definitely am gonna check out those. I think I'm gonna record them and uh, watch them. I'll fast forward. The, through the other parts where you, oh gosh you always know the ending it's gonna be a happy ending no matter what uh of but yes it's christmas time i know it's hallmark and it is cool i mean it's it's great to have all these these wonderful shows that make you happy during the holiday seasons um anyway so tom you can wrap us up with your pick of the week yeah i was knocking around the other day on fasafety.gov and we've talked about all of the cool resources for pilots and courses and things you can do there and the wings program and all of that and we've We've had discussions about that. I was knocking around on there and, and uh, was looking under the tab called the maintenance hanger. And I, I realized that there was, you know, I mean, yes, these are for the mechanics, but um, I, I found out there's like really cool information in here, you know. And uh, I went, there's a, a toolbox which has all sorts of different resources that you can go into and, and uh, safety tips and things like that. There is a, um, a newsletter called Nuts and Bolts that has all sorts of information in it. There's all sorts of episodes or, or uh, issues of that in there. And I just thought it'd be cool to mention it, you know, that even though we're pilots and we probably let them, you know, the maintenance guys take care of working on the aircraft, I try to learn as much as I possibly can about the systems of the aircraft that I'm flying and talk with mechanics constantly. And when I started looking through this, I just thought it was really cool information. You know, even as a pilot, I was I was just soaking it in like, okay, that's cool. It, it's It's making me watch my systems better and it's making me ask better questions of my mechanics when I'm not quite sure what's going on with the plane. You know, I start asking like, okay, how does this work? How do we fix it? What is, what, what is the problem? You know, is there a problem, you know, and, and it, it, it's making me better, um, in tune with my airplane. So I'll throw that out there as, as a pick of the week. Awesome. That sounds really cool. I, I'm definitely going to go check that out. Something uh, new to learn. Uh, it's always wonderful, these Picks of the Week. And by the way, if you're listening, the uh, Picks of the Week, the links are all out there. All the past Picks of the Weeks are also on our website. We get a lot of questions about that. Go under Picks of the Week, and you will find everything that we've done before. Don't forget also to visit our sponsors, aviationcareerspodcast.com, scholarships, career coaching, and interview preparation. And, boy, we really appreciate your listening. Uh, make sure you fly safe. 
have fun, fly smart. Don't forget to watch the Hallmark Channel during Christmas because there are airplanes on the Hallmark Channel, and that's really important. <laughs> and visit some of those museums and, and, and just enjoy the whole holiday season because this is the most wonderful time of the year. We actually get to see Christmas cards with airplanes. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.